You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 645. Alone, we can do so little. Together, we can do so much. Helen Keller. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, guys, I know that all of us want to make profitable films, but there's so many pitfalls to watch out for. So I wanted to put together a free video series to help you guys learn the three key secrets to producing a successful and profitable film taught by best-selling author and veteran film producer Suzanne Lyons. All you need to do to get access to this course for free is head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash free. Today's show is also sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a profitable business. It's harder today than ever before for independent filmmakers to make money with their films, from predatory film distributors ripping them off to huckster film aggregators who prey upon them. The odds are stacked against the indie filmmaker. The old distribution model of making money with your film is broken and there needs to be a change. The future of independent filmmaking is the entrepreneurial filmmaker or the film entrepreneur. In Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, I break down how to actually make money with your film projects and show you how to turn your indie film into a profitable business. With case studies examining successes and failures, this book shows you the step-by-step method to turn your passion into a profitable career. If you're making a feature film, series, or any other kind of video content, the Film Entrepreneur method will set you up for success. The book is available in paperback, ebook, and of course, audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Well, guys, today on the show, we have filmmaking team and couple, Vanessa and Joseph Winter. Now, these two are the filmmaking team behind the creepy and relentless gem, Deadstream, which is a film that turns the found footage genre on its head. Now, I love talking to Vanessa and Joseph because I was fascinated on how a married couple can function as a directing and team, producing team all together while still maintaining a relationship. And we had a really deep, raw, and honest conversation on how not only does a couple work together as a directing team, but how creatives and filmmakers who work together as a directing team get along, how they deal with things. And it is fascinating look inside of that process. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Vanessa and Joseph Winter. I'd like to welcome to the show Vanessa and Joseph Winter. How are you guys doing? Great. Good. Nice Thanks to talk to you, Alex. Us. Thank you so much for coming on the show, guys. I have not had uh, a couple, like a romantic couple filmmakers ever on the show. So I was intrigued by that. And then the horror aspect was also more intriguing and then the image that you guys sent, I was like, well, I mean, I got to have them on now. I mean, that picture is worth a thousand words right there. So uh, it's no, it's, it's really good. I'm really glad to meet you. I'm fascinated with you guys. I want to I want to find out how all of this happened. First, the first question is, how did you guys meet? <laughs> how did you guys get together, decide to go? 
you know what we should do? We should be horror filmmakers together. Let's do that. <laughs> like, I want to know what that conversation was like. When we very first met, it never crossed my mind that this is my horror filmmaking buddy for the rest of my life. But <laughs> it was so we were in film school. At this, the same time, it was, it was so natural. Yeah, yeah. It was total natural progression, like really quickly. But I was in a film class. It was like the first film class you take when you get into the program. And Vanessa was in the class. We'd never talked. She came up to me after class one day, said, I'm the production designer of a senior capstone project. You feel like a great fit for the art director to work under me. How do you feel about that? And that was the first time we really spoke. And I mean, it was all it was because I found out later everyone else said no. But I was really grateful <laughs> for that because it was I mean, she was really awesome and we got along really great. And then I talked her into loving horror. I mean, it wasn't hard, but she hadn't been exposed to like, you know, the stuff that I'm into. Yeah. Yeah. I was always into horror, but film school really was my introduction to cinema. Um, I grew up in a small town. My family was like very conservative with what we could watch. And so in college, took my first film class and um, immediately I fell into the genre lane of horror and sci-fi. And so I feel like us deciding, oh, we're going to make horror movies for the rest of our life. It was like easy. That was an easy. That was way easier than should we have kids? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I have to ask you because uh, I'm married. I have kids. How in God's green earth do you guys balance the family life, you know, and the and the relationship with the filmmaking? Because both are fairly stressful, uh, and both are uh, horror shows. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you have that's kids, a, that's a perfect description. Like I, we, I mean, we were like. We've been hustling to become narrative filmmakers for like 10 years together, working lots of different corporate jobs, commercial jobs, doing the whole whole thing that everybody does. And then um, we got pregnant at the same, like got Cheated. pregnant, had a baby, <laughs> and we made a feature almost immediately afterward. Oh, like wow. I was getting up at 3 a.m. writing scripts, like the baby's like four weeks old. And then we made a movie, almost finished it, We'd almost finished filming it and then got pregnant by accident. And so then we had a baby and then we finished our movie and then we may were part of VHS and like it's honestly basically the, we just run around all day screaming and then collapse at night. It's really bed. like I don't really do. know how to answer it because <laughs> this is like it when Deadstream production was actually gonna happen and I still had a full-time corporate job, that was just looming over the whole thing. It's like how? And I still looking back, I'm like, okay, I can see how we squeezed by with like having a little baby and stuff. But it's like, <laughs> I don't have the model to teach somebody how to do that. Yeah, it, it, it's it, there's and I've said this so many times on the show. We're all insane. And it's and there's an insanity to do what we do. But you guys are a little different. You're a little you're you're next level insane uh, because <laughs> I mean, you've gone to another place. You've transcended the insanity of just making a film. You got into a relationship, you have kids, and while you're having kids, you're like, oh, but my film, like, <laughs> like these are the thoughts that go through your head. It's fascinating, and it is just a, a testament to your love of what you guys do. And is there in the relationship, is there anyone who's grounded, or are you both psychotic? Because I'm the psycho, crazy one in my relationship, and my wife's the grounded one. She's like, no, no, we're not going to do that. And we kind of balance each other out a little bit, because if, if it was two of me, I, I don't know. I would self-destruct. 
So yeah. I'm curious in how, how the dynamic works in your in you're crazy were. about different things. I think that's how it works. Like sometimes I get really scared at the scope that Vanessa will pitch about something where she's like, no, I really think we can do this. And it's like, that's not possible. So I start to panic in that pragmatic yeah. kind of sense. I'm but the then, crazy, like bite up more than you can chew person. Um, but I've got a more chill energy where Joseph's got the performer, like he's got the excitement, but also the like anxiety. Things are going wrong. <laughs> and I'm kind of like the even person, but I've definitely got, yeah, like he was just saying, my own set of crazy where he's like, well, like especially at the beginning of projects, I get super amped. That's like my my place. And Joseph's like, okay, but like for real. <laughs> Yeah. For real, what's this gonna There's be plenty like? of crazy crossover though where we're not compatible. Like we just aren't and we're still trying to figure that out. So yeah, sometimes <laughs> there's too much crazy. <laughs> I could see that. I can see that without question. So uh how did you guys you just said that you guys have been going, you know, 10 years and, and that's that's kind of the number I throw out to people. Like, how long is it gonna take? I'm like, starting point's 10 years. Just yeah. that's how you gotta look at it. You gotta just you're gonna be grinding for 10 years to make something happen for yourselves. How did you guys keep going? I always love asking that question because I mean, everyone's different on like what you mentally had to tell yourselves and you had each other, which is a blessing, but most of us don't. We're alone. We're, you know, the filmmakers by themselves. And, you, you know, I tried quitting a thousand times, uh, but I can't because I'm <laughs> because it's a disease and you can't get yeah. rid of it and it's done. So how did you guys keep going? What did you like? Did you guys help each other out? Did you did ones like I can't do this anymore? And the other ones like, no, no, we got to keep going and vice versa. How did it work? I'm genuinely interested in your answer. If you want to answer first. I was going to say, I think you hit the nail on the head with the fact that there's a benefit with us being um, we're having the same insane dream. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Because we, um, there's definitely like dark nights of the soul, I guess you could call them multiple times where we are like on the verge of like tears, like, can we actually make this happen? Like, what, what are we doing with all of our time and money depressions? But I think that, right. yeah, the nice thing about being in it together is that, um, and I feel like the risks are a little bit easier maybe than for somebody that's like in a partnership where the other person is like, you're crazy. Um, you're taking yeah. things too far, like for a relationship or, you know, financially or something where we kind of, yeah, we had the same crazy dream. So when it was like, should we mortgage our house to make our first feature? We were like, yeah, yeah let's, yeah, do, let's it. do it. Yeah. So, so the essential part. Don't for do me, that. By the way, everyone listening, don't do that. Don't do that's that. That's, not, that's what I tell. That's what I tell people. Like, don't do what we did. It just so happened to have worked in our case. It's not a good business model. Like, um, but but in order to feel good about what we did to get Deadstream off the ground, we needed ten years of like for me changing my value system. Like, honestly. If I, right out of film school, had had the opportunity to do a feature, and there's some version of that where I would have imploded just looking back because the thing I was valuing, valuing at the time was getting the film made, being in my 20s and trying to rise to the top and like things that don't mean that much to me anymore. And as we were going along in our life, started to change to like, 
okay, I'm approaching my 30s. Does that actually matter to me? Is there a version where that doesn't like, can I just make a movie when I want to like um, the kind of movie I want to? And I started to remove like the superficial stuff or the things that mm. were separate for the love of from the love of the craft and the things that I actually wanted to engage in. And that really helped not feel so panicked about the years burning by and having not made a feature. So, I mean, that's how for me, that's how when we got to the point of like, hey, should we open up some 0% interest credit cards and like go for it? It was like, okay, I feel like I've got a good foundation now of like what's important to me and we're not willing to sacrifice everything in order to do it. Like we're going to try to balance the family and stuff. And then it just finally made sense. Well, and, can, and, and I'm imagining you guys had the same conversation that we all do. At 23, you're like, shit, I didn't make my feature. Orson Welles did. And, at 20, yeah. 20, and then at 27, it's like Spielberg made Jaws at 27. I'm just jacking around right here. What the hell? That's exactly what I'm talking Tarantino about. Tarantino made the you know, Reservoir when he was like 31. Like, and that just the number just keeps creeping up until you're like, well, Ridley Scott didn't make it till 40. So that's I'm like, yeah, but he did 4,000 video, music videos and commercials prior <laughs> to that. So that's a little, you're losing, you're getting loosey goosey. But did you have that conversation with yourselves as well as that, as that, that time gets click, clicking away? Absolutely. Oh, me for sure. I've got like, I've got an issue with like, my, like, I don't know what you call it. The, like the life clock ticking away where I get really freaked out about time passing by. Joseph's a little cooler about it. Well, no, that took effort though, because I just made a decision that was, you know, earlier than you about the, I'm going to be a piece about the clock aspect and just, just have some faith that at you know when i'm in the right mental place and you know things will just happen at the right time if we just keep healthily working at it and not <laughs> sacrificing like our health and things along the way um but yeah that was always there man i'm also pretending right now that it stopped mattering to me but it you know it always matters this is a, i love the neurosis that's going on here you're in this conversation because you're just kind of like this is really getting inside the mind of the insanity of a filmmaker. And this is not what they teach at school. They don't never, they teach you about, you're going to be Spielberg. You're going to be the next Nolan here. Look, we're going to teach you how to make a hundred million dollar movie. No one ever in film school is teaching you, look, it's going to be 10 years of grinding. You're going to want to break psychologically multiple times a day. Uh, <laughs> like you're going to probably go bankrupt a couple times. You'll probably lose relationships. Like, I mean, they don't tell you all these things, but this is what the truth of it is. So I'm so glad that you guys are being so raw and honest about this process for people listening, because I hope it helps wake some people up to like the realities of this. And the other thing I wanted to ask you is because as, as, a, as a filmmaker myself, I, look, I, my wife and I have taken strategic, uh, you know, risks through my filmmaking career. At the beginning, I threw credit cards and, almost went bankrupt and all that kind of stuff at the very early beginning of it. But as I got older, we're like, okay, let's strategically, how are we going to do this without a family? The second the kids came into the picture, it changes things. But it seems like you were able to balance having kids because it's one thing, you guys could eat ramen. I mean, probably not yeah. now. I mean, you don't want to, but we could, you know, you could, you don't want to, but you could, you know, but now when you have kids, it's a different responsibility. How do you balance the insanity of the dream with the responsibility of a family. I think, I think for me, like I almost experienced what you did backwards where I think mm -hmm. I had, um, I kind of had this thing coming out of film school where um, I didn't, 
And maybe it's because I'm a woman, but I had this feeling of like, I didn't go to school for a hobby. So I kind of had this overcompensating, like, I'm going to get this corporate job and I'm going to make enough money while I'm also chasing my dreams so that I could show that I can like make a living. And there was something about having my first baby where I was kind of like, oh, like, this is it. Like, I am going to make a feature now or it's never going to happen. And so I got a little bit more crazy and risk taking where I started putting like childcare on a credit card where I didn't, I had never, never done that before, like spent credit card money on, I mean, besides some student films, like, but I hadn't really, I hadn't been really doing that. So that for me was kind of like the switch went off where I just started saying no to all of my commercial clients or most of them. And was just like, I'm going to do this thing because if I don't, I'm going to regret it, even if it goes badly. So that's. That's where I was. For me, a really interesting, I mean, this happened for both of us, but the thing that I like to tell people about having our kid is like before then, it was 24 seven film stuff. Like what we would talk about in our house, there were no boundaries. It wasn't like, okay, at this time, we're just talking about our personal lives, like film, our ideas, the things we were working on, our corporate stuff. It was all just, you know, laying in bed, talking about it. And when we had our daughter, there started to be some structure around it where we said, at this time, which just family time, like we have to, it's only fair to our family to do that. But it was so weird that once we started putting boundaries on when we would work on film, I became way more productive. My output was so much more than it had ever been. And I feel like that has stuck. So now we have that second daughter. It's the same thing. The hours of the day that we have to work are a lot more productive than they ever were before then. So there's that benefit that's come from it. Yeah. Unfortunately, we should have discovered you earlier, Alex, and we could have made a lot of smarter decisions. <laughs> well, but that way, well, I appreciate that. Listen, I wish I had me when I was coming. Are you kidding me? I would, can you imagine if a show like this existed in the 90s? You know what I mean? Millions and millions of dollars would have been saved. Relationships, psyches would have not, you know, busted at, at that point. I mean, less people would be in the insane asylum right now if we had this kind of information back then. But so what were some of these mistakes that you guys made along the way that you were just like that maybe you could talk about that other people can learn from and hopefully not fall into those same uh, traps? Uh, One of my biggest things, I think, was just not saying no to anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Same thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that with your. Like, I think the advice that you give, like having multiple legs of your business, I guess you could call it, is a really smart thing to do. But I think you don't want to have like 40 legs to your business. You don't want to feel like you're missing (laughs) out because you're not working with this producer. You're not like you're letting go some of your clients or whatever it is. And I think that I just had that for a long time where I was overworking, um, just overworking for not enough money. And then (laughs) creatively, I kind of had the same problem where I always wanted to be a horror filmmaker. And with doing that, you, you take big, like just in the nature of horror, you take big swings and you isolate a certain amount of audience. And I think that there were, when I would do my own creative, like, projects, uh, like a short film or something I would have in mind, like, oh, but if my commercial clients saw this, like, could it help me out in like both ways? And as soon as I just started really writing and making the things that were purely Vanessa, I guess you could call them, they're just weird and, and just what I wanted to do. That's when 
um, audiences started responding or that's when I started getting into festivals and ended up finding my management. Mm -hmm. And so I think, yeah, I think specifically for me, there was a lot of mistakes and just not being focused enough. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And yeah. it, it sounds like you, it sounds like you did the same thing I did. I think, I think every filmmaker goes through this process is you find your voice and then you have the, you know, the, the cojones, as they say, to actually put your voice out there. And that's what people are, your secret sauce. That's what people are attracted to. Not, I'm going to go make a Sam Raimi movie. I'm like, well, we have Sam. He does them pretty yeah. well. We don't need another Sam Raimi. Yeah, you know, he's, really he, good. <laughs> he's, he's solid. Like we don't need another one of him or a cheap copycat, but what, but, but there's only one Vanessa. So yeah. that, and that's, and that's the thing. There's only one Joseph. So that's that when you are able to finally put that out there is that's when I'm so glad you said that, that you like, oh, that's when stuff started to happen when you were brave enough to, to put yourself out there. I'm assuming that's the same for you, Joseph. Well, the thing that came to my mind is um, I was afraid after, I mean, in college, I was afraid to make bad things. After college, I was afraid to make bad things. And that actually kept me from making, I wish I would have made so much more yeah. things and bad things because you learn a lot when you make something that's not turning out right. And you actually learn a lot when you make more things that are shorter. And in my mind, like the next project I was going to put my energy into was going to be a 17 minute, like really ambitious thing. And I wish I would have just taken the opportunity to give myself more smaller experiences, have things that I'm too ashamed to show people because I did anyway <laughs> along the way. And, right. and like, I just feel that's how, that's how you learn. And I, I'm jealous looking back at my other friends that were jumping on these like, yeah, I just got this opportunity to direct a little thing over here. It's not that good, but I'm going to do it. And in my mind, I was like, why would you want to have that on your reel or have that? But like now I, that was a mistake. You can, you should make bad things. You should make lots of bad things and you can curate what you show people. It, I think it's the same the kind of itis that we, we filmmakers have. They're like, well, Spielberg didn't have this yeah. and you know like on his reel i mean and his his film like you want your filmography to be perfect because that's the ego inside of you going one day they'll be studying me in film school and when they do i can't have this crap out there you know kind of like that's then you laugh because both of you have thought this in your mind at one point or another because i did it i think all of us do because we all are insane <laughs> the filmmaker's ego is oh my god it is it's, it, there's the, the the level of delusion we have but you know what I, I said this the other day i was at afm and i was on stage talking and i said this out loud and it was a friend of mine who told me this and he told me i could steal it uh my friend john kim he said the delusion and the skills that you need to get a movie done hurt you after the movie is done to try to sell it because you can't be delusional when you're selling it you can't yeah. be to like my movie's the greatest i'm obviously the next quentin tarantino why can't anybody recognize my genius yeah <laughs> is that is that do you agree with that yeah, i mean yeah i feel like um i feel like that's for sure true i just right now what you're seeing is me trying to think how if i felt that way after we made Deadstream, like if I, I had the healthy mindset, I will say what helped is like, we're mature enough right. going into Deadstream that I grew out of so much of that kind of mindset by the time we made it that we didn't have South by Southwest aspirations when we were making 
dead streaming. We didn't have like the successes of the movie were not the goal. Like by the time we made this, it was like very pragmatic. It was we're going to pay for an education in learning the part of the business that most people don't talk about or won't talk about, learn how much people are offering for a low budget movie and like what just like that kind of thing. And so, I mean, 10 years before, I wouldn't have made a movie that was just my best shot, but mostly for an education and mostly, you oh, know, no. to just do something. Um, so I think that's something that did help with being older and getting started with that. Oh, no, the, yeah, the, 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 20, the 20s version of all of us, is, we're idiots. <laughs> I mean, we're just, no, absolutely. Of course. I, I, I didn't make a movie till I was 40 because I was like, well, it has to be Reservoir Dogs. It has yeah. to, like, blow everybody out of the water because, again, my filmography is going to be taught yeah. in schools and I can't have this kind of insanity. So... <laughs> Yeah, man, that pressure can really get to you, though. Right? It's crippling. It's crippling. It it is because it's all self-inflicted. It's completely your own delusions in your mind. I, you know, I, I, I gotta ask you, why do you think we do that to ourselves? Why? Because I've never asked this question on the show before. But like, what? Who told us that that's the way? Like, what is in, in? And it's not just us. It's most filmmakers have this conversation with themselves and like my first movie has to be this and it has to be that and you know and i have to be respected and it has to win what is it that we can't just go out and like you did with deadstream and just go we're just gonna go make a movie we're gonna learn about the process and if it gets in some places it gets in some places as opposed to this is oscar worthy which i've had that conversation (laughs) not me (laughs) with other filmmakers who i've done posts for and they're like, I'll see you at the Oscars next year. I'm like, you see, you. see you there, buddy. <laughs> All right, there, buddy. All right, let me know how that works out for you. So, man, so you- yeah, like I feel like I feel like there's a there's a particular kind of crazy uh, of filmmakers that puts you in that mindset. Um, in fairness to filmmakers, I feel like there is a lot of when I compare it to other other art forms. Um, there is some truth to this, like fear and feeling that everything you make could be your last, because if you (laughs) blow it bad enough, people don't want to work with you and don't want to pay, like help you pay money. It's so hard to make a film just by yourself. Mm -hmm. So that does, I think, add to some of the pressure. Um, yeah, the, I also hearing other writers talk. I think this may cross over to writers too, which is how crippling it is to sit down and realize that your first draft is going to be complete crap. Right. And that's like a big mental hurdle. And I don't know if it's just because you're admiring other films that are so good or other books that are so good, but this idea, it's really hard for the idea to sink in that it started as bad. It's like hard to believe. Well, it's hard to believe that the first iteration of Jaws or whatever was probably bad. And it took a long time before it became Jaws. One of the biggest reasons is that's what they put in front of you at film school. Like they put the awesome first films in front of you. The 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 masterpieces. Yeah. The thing about Reservoir Dogs is it's not even technically Tarantino's first movie. Oh, I know. Hearing Edgar Wright, it's like, but you don't know this really? Like, it's not really talked about like that. And then I heard Edgar Wright on a podcast years ago 
where he talked about Fistful of Fingers, mm -hmm. which he doesn't even want people to see. And I still mm -hmm. haven't seen it. And he, he explains why. And I, was, that, I wish I would have been taught that in school. Like, here are the filmmakers who made first films that either you can't see or they don't want you to see. And then they learned from it and went on to make Shaun of the Dead or like, you know, something else like that. Well, they don't, they, that, doesn't, that doesn't sell, uh, doesn't sell um, seats in film school. <laughs> I mean, they sell the sizzle, but they don't sell the steak real well. But they sell the sizzle really, really, really well. And you know what's fascinating is after talking to as many people as I have on the show and speaking to like Edgar and some of these bigger, you know, Oscar winners and things like that, I've come to realize in just my own personal journey that all of them go through the same things that we do. It's always shit at the beginning. It's always crap. They're nervous. They have to look at the same blank page you guys have to look at. And they just work it out in a different way. But it is, it, it is I think Hollywood puts it out there that, 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 like the story of Rocky, that he wrote it in like, what, four, three nights or something like that. He wrote Rocky. And then like, that was the, the myth. Like, oh, he wrote and he won the Oscar. And then years later, I saw an interview with Stallone and he's like, yeah, I wrote the first draft in three days, but I beat the hell out of that thing for the next six months, you know, yeah. per perfecting it. You know, it's 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 that kind of delusion that's put out there. But I think that's a Hollywood thing, too. I mean, it's been, you know, it's always been that way with this kind of the sizzle and not the steak, <laughs> yeah. without question. So with, so let me ask you with Deadstream, uh, how did you guys, first of all, it's fantastic. Um, <laughs> it looks great, man. It's, it's so much fun. And then I'm like, wait a minute, is that Joe? Is he the star of this too? Like, what? like <laughs> that's tough enough to do it behind the scenes, but in front of the scenes, in front in front of the camera to be able to do it all. And you're, it's like basically you're the show, on top of it. So there's a lot of pressure on you, Joe, as a as a performer of that movie. Yeah, you've got some ghosts and goblins and other things flying around, which are really interesting. But you're funny as shit, by the way. You're really, really funny Thank in this. <laughs> um, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Funny as hell, really well produced. Looks nice. It looks so like you know because I've seen, I've seen a lot of stuff. <laughs> I see a lot of stuff, and in the horror genre, as you know, not always the highest production value. <laughs> not always. How did you guys decide to do like this? Was the thing like get this thing off the ground, and then we'll talk about the South by Southwest call. <laughs> Dude, yeah, I think, um, yeah, we started writing it around Joseph's strengths because he can act and he is hilarious. Um, but it did end up being really gru grueling and a ton of pressure. Um, I as think, Yeah, I think we should like talk about why, though. The reason is like we we were trying to we gave ourselves the creative prompt of like, what if there was a movie no one could say no to if we made like, could we in theory make something by ourselves? And that's yeah. the thing that led us to well, that would, of course, I would be in it. And it wasn't like, honestly, we didn't think I was great. We just thought that I could act like I'd been in some of our other stuff that we had made. So it was like, okay, a given it's me in a haunted house. Is there and nobody else is in it? Like, that's kind of where what we were building off of. Yeah, I think we we're like, originally, we we're like $25,000, 2530. Like, what could we do if we just strap cameras to Joseph? And that was kind of like, Eh, we were kind of like simmering on that like a little bit. And then I think once it started, um, 
once it started feeling like somebody who was going to go in and do a real live stream and put up extra cameras and a movie that was going to escalate from maybe a little bit more grounded to just completely bonkers 80s creature feature. Mm -hmm. um, that's where at least I started getting really creatively excited. Um, but then, of course, the budget like tripled. It and was having to pull something shocking. like that off. Um, so that I guess that's its own that's its own genesis as far as Joseph's role in it it became clear like increasingly that how difficult it was going to be because on the on the performer just the pressure on the performer to carry the whole movie and as we started diving into YouTube personalities and started writing the mm -hmm. script and refining the script um we became really scared about how hard it is actually to talk for 90 minutes and have people care. And it also oh, made yeah. us appreciate the influencers online a lot more of just what kind of talent and art form they've kind of honed in with this vlogging style um, comedy, I would call it. I would think some of them are definitely comedic artists. So we started studying that a lot. And um yeah, so it ended up being a lot of pressure for Joseph to uh, to deliver that kind of performance and that kind of nuance that could actually be watchable. Um, and even when we had a script that was super, we felt like it was really solid. We have a, a casual writers group with friends that we would read stuff out, uh, read stuff with. And even when we felt like it was slaying pretty well with them, we started doing some tech rehearsals and realized that the character wasn't there yet, that he was just going to be unwatchable. Um, so anyway, ended up being a lot of rehearsals for Joseph. And then the technical side was also a little bit unexpected. Um, just how difficult it was to operate the camera. Um, so a lot <laughs> of the movie was just me, like, not yelling at you, but like bossily directing and saying, hey, pan that room again, but this time 20% slower. So and that, all of this was like while he was trying to be in character. So that was the thing that we didn't like. We had thought through a lot. We did not think through the part of operating while acting. Like we just didn't. I didn't. And it was a completely different thing. It was engaging a different part of my brain than the sure. performer. And it was just incredibly difficult. And like at the time, so I had avoided actually thinking about me doing some of the emotional scenes or like actually the weight of the movie because I knew if I did think about it, it, I would clam up, I would get that paralysis before we ever made it. So I waited to think about it until we were shooting. And it really felt, I, it just felt crushing. That first day was a mess. We had to reshoot almost the whole thing. Like I just wasn't good, I wasn't on. But um, but yeah, I mean, thank goodness it wasn't a studio movie because we had <laughs> we had the ability to pop in some weekends to the same location over the next few months and do some pickups just on our own dime on, you know, whenever we had mm -hmm. a chance. So that was fortunate. And that really saved the movie. Yeah. So I think the missing piece as far as when we talked about starting, starting the movie, it was a kind of do it yourself. Um, but then as the script progressed and the idea got bigger, we ended up bringing on a partner, Jared Cook, who was our co-producer and also our DP. And so this wasn't, um, he was so instrumental in pulling off um, how, the, how seamless the camera rigs worked um, along with the, he designed the interface for the chat. Um, so he was a really big creative force and um, we did, we put a lot of work into the, the tech 
rehearsals and camera tests mm -hmm. um, to make sure the movie wasn't too shaky. Um, Joseph actually had two cameras strapped to his head as the PO, the point of view um, camera um, so that we could change um, angle or uh, lens length. And one of them had a little gimbal in it um, to help stabilize so that it wasn't a nauseating found footage uh, scary movie experience. Um, so anyway, that I was really happy with the way that the tech worked out in the movie, but it did put extra pressure on Joseph um, to camera operate. It wasn't just a it's it wasn't an improvised like go act yeah. scared, tell some jokes. Everything was like very finely tuned with timing and where he was looking and how to execute. It was a very precise film. I'm exhausted uh, and I didn't even make this movie. Like <laughs> you I mean, just what you're explaining. I'm like, oh my God, I'm tired already. Jesus. <laughs> well, let me ask you. So, like, how many days you guys shoot? That is hard now. Um, because of all the partial stuff. But the first we did seven days back to back as our main principle. And then there were a few pickups. I think the way last time we calculated it probably ends up at 14 or 15 days when it was all said and done. With the pickups and things that you just yeah. go back and do. What was, so I always like asking this question, you know, we're all, you know, we all are on set and there's always that one day that you feel the entire thing is going to come crashing down around you as directors. Uh, I'm assuming that happened every day, probably every hour of every day. Was there the one thing that you're just like, I don't think we're going to make it. How, did, what was that thing and how did you overcome it? Which should we choose? <laughs> oh, man, for me, for me, it was day one. Um, and maybe it's because I, as like the director that was behind monitor, the schedule was more on my shoulders, but we had a huge windstorm that came through the very first day oh, and blew off all of our um, makeshift duvetine on the outside of the house. Which was like, so, we had to cover the entire house so that we could shoot during the day. Oh, yeah. So we ended off. up like spending hours and hours repairing that. And then by the time we got our first shot off, um, just the morale wasn't there the character hadn't really vibed yet and we got the camera tech we realized even with all of our tests it just i mean they're not action cameras are not cinema cameras so the consistency there was just a lot of surprises and we thought we were going to shoot the whole movie in six days oh man it's <laughs> so that was so like a very like come to back. jesus night for me which was like coming home late and just we only had a couple hours of sleep anyway but i just remember just sitting like awake the whole time being like how are we gonna pull this off oh that's what we so did. that was the worst i think that was the darkest time. we literally sat in this office it was like oh man it's like 17 hours after showing up for the shoot and we were sitting here literally saying how are we going to save the movie because it was like this is going to crash and burn we're not even going to finish making it it's not and then what we finish, we will never show anybody because I did so bad that first day. Wow. Um, but yeah, so I agree with her first day. Well, I mean, if it makes you feel any better, uh, when I did my first big film, uh, a hurricane came and uh, <laughs> in Florida and uh, flooded our sets completely. <laughs> of course. So we decided to write it into the script. <laughs> Well, that's good. <laughs> I mean, I wrote it into the like, like, oh, and also FEMA decided to set up at the hospital that we we're at. So there was <laughs> 10,000 people outside online getting food and water while we're trying to shoot a movie in the basement of this like working slash abandoned hospital. 
<laughs> so like we just like yeah write it in man we can't what are we gonna do we have no money let's <laughs> so lesson for everyone listening yeah, sometimes you gotta write it in <laughs> yeah. yeah that's that's hero status you have to world's I mean, ending you're just gonna keep making a movie we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor And now back to the show. Again, the insanity of what we do. It's not that's like, hey, maybe maybe we shouldn't do this. No, that never crossed our mind. It's like <laughs> we've got trucks out here. There's a dolly. We're shooting on the Panasonic DVX 100A Mini DV, the best film camera ever made in the, <laughs> in the world. I mean, we gotta go. Gotta go. I even had the adapter for the wide angle. We have to go. <laughs> <laughs> this was happening this was happening it was five days of oh my god I, I, anyway that's a whole other story um if you guys had a chance to go back in time to talk to both of yourselves at the beginning of this insanity what would be the one thing you would tell them would it be the beginning of the dead stream insanity or oh no 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 the entire journey of this 10-year odyssey to get to where you are right now. At the beginning, you're at film school, both of you, and you, and all of a sudden, you Marty McFly it in, and you just walk in and just go, guys, I'm from the future. I can't tell you much, but I can tell you this one thing. I need you to... <laughs> I would say chill the F out and just, like, adjust expectations. This is, like, get in touch with the love of the craft and life. And then let's talk making an actual feature length film. So like, that was the thing. If you would have told me back then, 15 years later, your first movie comes out or whatever, I would have imploded. And like, I wish I could go back and just say, don't implode, like be okay with that. I think I would have been like, look myself in the eyes and be like, you're never gonna be good at commercials. You know, you're never gonna be good at commercials. Just go make horror movies. Unless it's horror commercials. Unless they're horror commercials, you know. I've actually done some of those, and that was a lot of fun. <laughs> totally, like, I guess it's not like a whole thing. It's just a couple. Every once in a, every yeah. once in a blue moon, you get you get to play yeah. like that. Well, you know, when you guys when you guys work, do you guys work together as a team? Like besides Deadstream, like how do you direct on set? Do you guys work as a team? And if you do, how what like how do you? I always fascinated by teams of directors. Like, what do you guys do? Do you, I mean, do you like know what each other's thinking? Are you co-embroidering it? Like, how, how are you doing it? Yeah. So what we say, like, usually, I mean, I'm usually in front of the camera so far in what we've done. Mm -hmm. And um, because of that, we do a lot of pre-pro so that when we show up, like a lot of um, like storyboarding with our iPhones and like making sure that the decisions as much as possible get made before we show up. Mm -hmm. um, that way there is less likely of the friction of having a completely different idea for something, which will still happen because no matter how much you prepare, things are different. Yeah. I don't think we're on like the Cohen brother level yet. Actually, I haven't seen them direct, so I don't know what it's like, but if we realize on set that we've been imagining something completely different, then we just kind of argue it out. And yeah. our, our, luckily our crews have kind of gotten used to it, but we'll just sit there and be like, 
are you sure you want it to be over the shoulder? Like not a two shot. And we'll just argue the pros and cons and tell somebody's out loud in front of the children. Are you, you can't do that on VHS 99. We made a goal to not do that. Like to, we'll be like, Hey, sidebar. And then we would go, thank you last very long. But like we we started that way with the sidebar, but then it was like it was so crazy with the schedule There's that no we just sidebar. yeah there wasn't time, so we just had to say like after a take I'd just be like yelling over the camera like hey wherever she was hiding and we would just argue it out like that. So we're working on that. That's you don't you don't argue in front of the children, that could, the children being the crew. You can't, you know, like, but apparently they figured out that oh, yeah, mom and dad, mom and dad a, are fighting. Special crew. It's the same crew as Deadstream. So by that point, they felt like our actual children and they were great. Mom and dad are fighting again. Let's just take a break. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, one, thing, one thing you did with Deadstream uh, is a horror comedy. Horror comedies are not easy. They're arguably one of the most difficult things to do in that genre because you got to balance how much comedy versus how much horror. I mean Sam is the Sam is the, the master of that. I mean I mean you Evil Dead or Army of Darkness is is beautifully ma- balanced and I think you guys did a really great job here but how do you in the creative process think should we throw a, a gag in here or a scare in here like how how do you balance that out? I always say a lot of like when I think about the process it's a lot of trial and error. Um, so yeah, lots of, lots of rewrites in the script. And then I think on set, there's moments of feeling like, you know what, I think even if we have to cut this joke that we love, I think it's the most important that this scene is scary. Um, so we'll make those kind of decisions. And then I think it still really finds itself in post. Yeah. Um, Mm. test audiences are really helpful and there is sound design, like, also transformed our movie because we were able to really lean into okay this is this is a scary like moment do we need to cut some dialogue um really emphasize the scare with sound um but yeah it was just kind of a it's kind of a crapshoot yeah if you if you were to read the draft of if you were to read what we thought we were making when we set out to make deadstream it's a lot more jokey i mean our movie is very comedy um, mm-hmm. But on the page, there were more little gags and jokes and longer monologues that we thought were funny that weren't actually funny. And like by the t- the version you see now is way more scary than what was on the page. And that's because of the editing. Like we actually shot it pretty true to what that was on the page. But then we refined it in post and it was like test screenings and just feeling it out with different people where we finally were able to realize yeah this is like too many jokes in this moment this needs to be scary so i would say the secret sauce so far was has been post-production yeah we also kind of benefited from being two brains where i think because joseph was the performer he could really focus on the moment and the comedy in the moment and i was very focused on things the tension and the scares that I wanted, I was thinking about the movie a little bit more as a whole. And so that, yeah, unlike the super brain of Sam Raimi, we have two. I so mean, well, he's, he's not, he's not human, obviously. He, <laughs> he, he actually opened up the book and that's how he got his powers. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it is. Um, now, I always love asking this question, especially you guys, now that I know the backstory of Deadstream. You submit to all these film festivals. And we all do it. 
you know, we're all going to submit to the lottery ticket of Sundance, Slamdance, South by Toronto, the, the top five or 10. And then you get a call from South by Southwest. Wh what was that like for you guys? Considering that wasn't the delusion at the beginning of this process, you were just like, oh, let's just, I'm assuming you just like, let's just see what happens kind of vibe, right? Let me actually tell you about the delusion. So like we weren't <laughs> even, we were so like, we, we were so non-delusional about the- We kind of hated film, like at least for me, like I had a thing against film festivals. It's like the rejections and oh. just the lottery of it is so painful. We also live right by Sundance and go every year. And it's just kind of this looming, like, we don't even try. That was like my reaction to it. Like, I don't, I don't have any, I'm not even going to have hopes that they can crush anymore. Okay. <laughs> How yeah. dare they? Okay. How dare that was, a, that was right. a little rude towards Sunday. We love Sunday. So it was just this feeling of like, we don't belong. You know what I mean? Like, like we're not, we're not going to give them that power. We're not going to submit to the A-list festivals. So we didn't like, honestly, the biggest festivals that we submitted to were the fall festivals. There was like Beyond Fest and there was Fright Fest and Fantasia and those were like the long shots to us. The thing that changed the course of the movie was um, we got rejected by the big ones, except Beyond Fest. Evram Ursoy, who helps run the festival, he called us and he said, I would love to play you at Beyond Fest, but I think you're selling yourself short. I have a sales agent friend who could talk to you, take over the festival thing that you're doing. And you could try for first quarter festival like South by Southwest and Sundance. And we were like, wow. no brainer, no thanks. Like, we're not, we're not that, like, we have a what nice a sweet little, guy. What a sweet guy. Oh, yeah. But yeah. it was like, what, what's guy's... his angle? That's how I was feeling. Like, what's this guy's angle? Because he's just <laughs> being too good to be true. Like, he's being so nice and so sweet. So we're like, what? This guy just loves cinema or something? Like, he's like, like he's not real. The human? No, yeah. no, no, no. There's like, none uh, of that in film business. <laughs> but the but the thing with like after thinking about after we actually told him no, we want to do world premiere at your festival, we thought, okay, we made Deadstream as a huge swing. Everything about it, we put everything on the line for the movie. Why would we stop doing that right now when this guy's telling us there is a shot? A small shot, but a shot. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. So we came back and said, all right, let's do it. Let's talk to the sales agent. We withdrew from the path that we had, like some of the small ones we've been accepted to. And we just, he, the sales agent started submitting for us, which is how most festivals are programmed. Um, and That's how, it sounds dumb, but it was so nerve wracking because we'd had some offers for distribution. And I, I felt like, you know, if we pull out of the fall festivals, which is very genre friendly, um, there's a chance that nobody we get rejected from the bigger festivals and nobody just ever sees our movie and these offers kind of go away. And so, yeah, I was pretty nervous. So this is all leading up to your question of the call from, by, by the way, what were the, what were the offers? Were they any good or were they pretty predatory or they were like solid or no? I have strong feelings. I don't like I usually say the strongest version of this, which is very predatorial in my mind. Now, here's sure. the thing. I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't listened to Indie Film Hustle because <laughs> I had no frame sure. of reference. But you talk about the predatorial distribution industry. And so I, that was on my brain when I saw we got this um, very big 
distribution company that started talking to us after mm -hmm. the Beyond Fest offer. And uh, we were so excited. We're like, if we have their name on our movie, oh, oh. my gosh. I and know, and I, and I, without you saying it, I know who it is and we won't say it publicly, but when we stop recording, I'm going to ask you and I'll tell you who it is. I know who it is. Go ahead. <laughs> and you probably do. And it was so it was so low and it was just deflating. And I felt yeah. I felt offended, but also like, oh. well, who am I to be offended at this? Like, it's just a stupid movie. And so basically from that to like with the sales agent using the South by Southwest, like behind the scenes, hey, let's have exclusive negotiations to like shutter. It's a completely different. Oh, like it's it's not even close. So know? so you get so you get into South by and we'll, we'll get to the phone call in a second. But you your sales agents, you know, working behind the scenes to negotiate a good deal for you because now you're in South by and now it's a conversation. And yeah. because you're going to premiere at South by, hey, let's talk to, to shutter now. You want to make a deal before this goes out, because once this goes, once this premieres, it's going to be a feeding frenzy. Let's let's make a deal beforehand. Is that right. kind of the, that was kind of the vibe? Yeah, it was um, <clears throat> for a little bit more detail. It was uh, going out to some big some big people first. So like Shutter, Netflix, Blumhouse and seeing what they thought and seeing is there any is there any chance of kind of creating not like a bidding war, but like a friendly version of that. Mm -hmm. um and then when it didn't seem like that was going to happen it was the conversation of um shutters offering a really good price now and they benefit from like announcing at an a-list festival um so do we go with that or do we take the risk of it premiering and then trying to negotiate and Roll so dice. yeah yeah so we ended up and we also um, we really love Shutter, and that was one of our goals at the beginning was to be on Shutter. We just feel like that's where our audience was. So after talking with them and stuff, we felt like signing with them before South by was the right decision, and we ended up being really happy with it. Um, well, so last thing I'll say is the name of our sales agent, Blue Finch. They're based out of London. I've never heard anybody have a bad experience with them. I've heard of them. Yeah, I've heard. And of them. they've like. They've also handled the, the international sales portion, which has ended up being significant for us, which was great and unforeseen. And having somebody that's really honest and transparent and showing you all of the deals um, is just made such a huge difference. And I know it's wow. so rare. It's so rare. Oh, it's completely. So you're a unicorn. Uh, yeah. You guys are unicorns. We, we were so aware of that this whole time. Like, we kept thinking, when is the part where Blue Finch is going to screw us or lie to us? And they never did. It's It has not happened. They've been such a great partner. Yeah. And with the Shutter thing, I want to say, like, the numbers made sense. Um, there's a reason why we said, all right, let's just go to Shutter. This is like, we're happy with this. But a big part of that was they wanted to take care of the movie. So it was like, it was a good deal. And there was that promise of, we will release you in October that week that you come out will be all about Deadstream. And like, they really believed in the movie, got the movie where the other distribution company that we're talking about was talking about it like just a number. It was like something they're going to throw at the wall, see if it sticks, and then that's it. I've um, heard that. So, so we were very, <laughs> we were that's very also, happy. it's got to be so rare too, just in the streaming days of having a streamer that actually is passionate about your film and is planning a release and a marketing strategy and and, and a, so that was that was also just really shutter was really great in that way 
No, so you get the phone call. What happens? So we actually got we actually got an email because the phone our sales agent got the phone call since they submitted. So I saw it in the middle of the night because I woke up for some reason, saw the email, and I was so excited. I was shaking, and I like I woke Joseph Joseph up in the freakiest way possible, just like shaking him, and I'm not saying. <laughs> shaking him he's so confused i finally get it out like what, what happened i'm not kidding he went back to sleep no this is what happened he went back it's to a dream sleep, it's, a dream. it's a dream it's a dream for hours by myself just eating like canned soup on the floor being like what so, so check it out we got re we got rejected our entire new strategy rejected from everybody except for south by so the south by was like the last thing we're waiting for so we're not going to get in in my mind it's like <laughs> we blew it we blew it with this whole thing so she wakes me up by sh literally shaking me going we got into south by we got into south by we got into like that and i was like oh shit, her dad died like <laughs> that's how i came out of my sleep is like her dad died or something i'm, I'm so sorry for you <laughs> <laughs> but i also as soon as i realized that it wasn't bad in my mind, I was like, your, your sleep is so precious. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna try to go back to sleep. And I did. When I woke up the next day, I was like, what was I thinking going back to sleep? Like, I, I legit did not let myself feel anything in well, that moment. Like, if you have a six month year old baby, it makes sense why he, oh, no, no, you can, no, there, no, no, like... no, 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 six <laughs> months, six month old. I don't care if you would get an Oscar nomination. You're just like, that's nice. I'll deal with that in the morning. <laughs> but so so you but you went back to sleep knowing that you got into South by or did you still think it was that dad had passed? <laughs> no, I, I knew as soon as it was good news. I'm like, OK, I'm going to go back to sleep and like wait to feel this. But I woke <laughs> up being like <gasps> South by. It's like oh, Christmas my. Day. It's like Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah, it was it was, it was awesome. That's amazing, guys. I look I'm so happy that you guys have. I hope this story. I mean, we've gone through the roller coaster of emotions here from the very Hit of despair <laughs> at the beginning to to like now look I, I we haven't been screwed we're actually making money we've made a movie we you you know you're on the VHS nine uh, ninety nine coming out you guys are off and running now and I'm so happy for you guys and you know it it was overnight obviously you just this was overnight success obviously <laughs> it was very quick uh, you didn't have to struggle at all through this process. <laughs> No. Um, when is when uh, is it out? It's already out in Shutter, right? Everyone can see that yeah. stream on Shutter. And uh -huh. when is VH and when is VHS ninety nine come out? That came out in October as well. So they're also both. Oh, both. And yeah. what's next? What's next for you guys? It's hopefully more horror movies. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing lined up. Like I'm assuming you got a couple things lined up. We've ready got to a go. couple of things brewing, um, but not ready to announce. All right. All right. But you're working on stuff. That's all I'm working. Too. And I can say horror comedy. For sure. Or comedy. You're sticking in the genre that you like. You stick it, yeah. stay right there. All right. I'm going to ask you a few questions. I ask all my guests. If you guys have listened to me, you know what these questions are. What advice would you give a filmmaker trying to break into the business today? Let me tap into my memories of all the times I've imagined answering this question. <laughs> um, I, I feel like I'm going to go back to that regret of like making more, not making more stuff and just being willing to make bad things to write bad things because that's how good things are made. Yeah, I would say um, the landscape is always changing. Like things are changing so much that all the stuff I learned in film school, and I think you've said this before in your podcast, which is like all your heroes in the 90s or whatever, that stuff's not relevant anymore. So it's always carving out your own path. And I think there just is this trial and error 
of finding your niche and it's going to take some time. And also don't make 20 minute short films. They're hard to program and like oh. make really short films. Make them short. I mean, my first film was 20 minutes and it got into 160 film festivals, but it was 2005. Less competition. Uh, I could have gotten into 250 festivals <laughs> if it would have been 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. we, uh, we made a 17 minute sci-fi 3D movie. It was 22 minutes. It was, was 22 it minutes. 3D, was, like 3D, 3D, an actual 3D. This was my this was my film school delusion. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Like, I was like, I'm going to make the when, biggest. When the 3D, when 3D was like super hot and then you got, the, yeah, it was like this whole thing. So we, and built, we built like rigs. Yeah. Yeah. We built, rigs, so that was when everything, everything, everything was being converted 3D and we were like, F this, let's make real 3D. So that's what we did. And I, re I regret it. Honestly, it was like, why make a 22 minute epic thing? I could have made like six things and grown as an artist. Wouldn't that have been nice? Ah, well, that doesn't that doesn't fall into the delusion, sir. Um, <laughs> what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life? Everything's going to be OK when everything is going bad, like literally every production, big stakes, small stakes. They'll end up being OK after the bad. It's hard for me to still remember that, but like it's true. Hmm. Yeah, in life. I, yeah, the risk, when to take risks was my, I think, my biggest learning thing. So I think, um, yeah, you, the business requires taking risks and committing. And so by default, you're going to miss out on other things. All right. And three of your favorite films, which I'm assuming will be horror of all time. Okay. <clears throat> For me, the, here's the three. We've got The Shining, Creep Show, Silver Bullet, The Gate, Monster Squad, Three Amigos. <laughs> that's that's six. Here's, but... you, can't, you can't make me choose. I've tried. <laughs> you were ready. You were ready for that. You were ready for the question. I appreciate that. <laughs> Monster Squad. I mean, Wolfman has nards. Uh, <laughs> genius. You, you, my dear? Um, yeah, I'm not as prepared. I would say I love the original Alien. I think it's a perfect monster movie. Um, there's a 1979 Russian movie called Solaris, um, mm -hmm. which is sci-fi horror. And I think it's just beautiful and haunting. I also love from the 70s, Don't Look Now with Donald Sutherland in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a great husband and wife relationship, but also just terrifying. And the imagery is super iconic. So I don't know if those are my favorite, but those are three. And where can people find out more about you guys and what you guys are doing? Um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Joseph Winter BHS. My handle is Vanessa M is in Marie Winter. All right, guys, it's been such a pleasure talking to you guys. And I really hope that this conversation inspires and terrifies people all at the same time. <laughs> but I appreciate your continued success and, and uh, congratulations on everything, guys. Thanks, yeah, man. very honored to be here. Yeah. Thanks. I want to thank Vanessa and Joseph for coming on the show and dropping their knowledge bombs on the tribe today. Thank you so, so much, guys. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at 
IndieFieldMuscle.com forward slash 645. Thank you again so much for listening, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. Stay safe out there. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com.